from Radio Vermont, it's the Dave Graham Show on WDEV. It's your show about the people, places, and the issues that matter the most to you. Now here's your host, Dave Graham. Good morning, Vermont. It is uh, Tuesday, November the 3rd, 2020. November the 3rd, 2020 might have a uh, familiar ring to many of you because uh, it is Election Day today. This is the final day to get your votes in. Uh, 7 p.m. tonight is the deadline uh, statewide in Vermont to uh, vote in this uh, election for uh, president, vice president. Uh, we don't have uh, we don't have a Senate election in Vermont this year, but uh, we do have an, uh, an election every two years, including this one for uh, U.S. House. Uh, we have uh, statewide all the statewide offices and legislative offices also are on the ballot today and uh, so there are plenty of reasons to uh, get out there and vote if you haven't done that yet but one of the amazing things about this election or one of the really remarkable and unusual things one might say about 2020 versus uh, years past is that many many of you have uh, voted already and um I want to hear from uh, from listeners today. I want you to call in to us here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV, FM, and AM and tell us uh, who you voted for for president, who you voted for for governor. What what made you decide? What were the uh, deciding factors in your uh, in your vote for uh, this time around? And uh, tell us a little bit about what you're thinking. Uh, I believe we are also going to be visiting uh, this half hour. I hope we get <laughs> get a connection with uh, John Odom, the uh, city clerk of uh, Montpelier. Wanted to check in with him and find out uh, what he's seeing so far today in terms of uh, turnout and uh, general mood of the voters and so on and so forth. It's uh, it's going to be an unusual uh, scene. Um, I'm thinking at many polling places here in Vermont and around the country because uh, people will be lining up in masks and maintaining their six feet of social distance because of the pandemic. And um, that is uh, likely to, uh, I would think, uh, you know, cast a bit of a pall over things. Uh, oftentimes you see a lot of folks uh, who uh, maybe end up in line near one another at the polling place and they sort of buttonhole one another, neighbors and friends who haven't seen each other in a while or whatever, and uh, it's a little bit of a social event in many in many normal election days. Uh, this is not a normal election day here in uh, 2020. So we have, uh, and and of course, it's a very very uh, fraught election because there is uh, quite a bit of uh, tension and uh, and there is quite a bit of uh, consternation over the uh, course of the country. Many many people see very very high stakes in the presidential race this year with uh, Donald Trump, the uh, Republican incumbent, uh, running against uh, Joe Biden, uh, former uh, vice president who's a Democrat, and and uh, um, a lot of folks who are supporting Biden uh, just think it would be a nightmare to have four more years of Trump. And uh, President Trump is certainly, uh, and his people have certainly been promoting the idea that it would be a nightmare to... Uh, have Joe Biden take over the presidency? They're uh, they're thinking that uh, we'd see all sorts of uh, violence in the streets and uh, socialism or communism or something taking over the United States. Uh, many many specters out there of uh, bad stuff likely to happen if uh, the Democrats win, according to the Republicans. And uh, I think with uh, with President Trump, um, there is a sense that. Uh, 
a lot of folks are sort of familiar with his style, and so there's less, uh, I guess, maybe less speculation about uh, about what the next four years would hold. But uh, we are uh, <clears throat> we can assume that uh, President Trump would con- continue pushing for further relaxation of regulations and lowering of taxes and. Uh, um, and then, of course, on the national scene, there is a chance that the Democrats could take control of the United States Senate, and that could change the balance of power in Washington in significant ways. And we are, of course, coming off of a period of time in which the Republicans have controlled the Senate and the and and the White House, and have had a success getting say three Supreme Court nominees in this one four-year presidential term uh, confirmed and onto the court. Uh, I don't know. I don't recall another president having such success uh, putting people on the court in uh, in a four-year in one four-year term. And of course, uh, there are chan- there's a chance that if President Trump is reelected. And uh, gets another four years. There are more seats on the Supreme Court that conceivably could open. There are a couple of other of the justices on the court right now who are getting pretty elderly. And uh, sometimes folks uh, die, as uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg did back in September. Sometimes folks uh, just decide to uh, retire from from that exalted position as one of the justices of the United States Supreme Court. So there's a, there is a chance that uh, maybe one or two more seats could open. Uh, if Trump gets a second term, we could end up with one president selecting a majority of the United States Supreme Court. So that would be uh, a new development, and one, one which I don't recall. Maybe uh, somebody out there knows the history better than I do and can call in and tell us uh, when uh, there have been a, there's been a president who actually ended up getting to, to appoint more than half of the United States Supreme Court, but that is conceivable if uh, President Trump wins re-election. So, hey, two four four one seven 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 is the uh, local number in Waterbury. Toll-free number is one eight hundred. I'm sorry, one eight seven seven eight seven seven. That is, come on, two nine one eight two five five and. Uh, Certainly uh, appreciate hearing what is on your minds as you either go to the polls this morning or uh, bite your nails and hope for a certain outcome. That's uh, that is something that is. Uh, I think a lot of people are feeling pretty anxious about uh, about this election, and uh, certainly um, <clears throat> that is something that is reflected in many of the uh, posts one sees on uh, on Facebook and uh, Twitter. And etc. All the uh, social media out there are um, really uh, talking about pretty dire consequences if we uh, are uh, if we elect the wrong person, especially to the uh, White House in uh, this 2020 election. So we are uh, thinking that the, that the um, if, if if with any luck we will have a, an election that goes off smoothly now. There are, uh, I, I was hoping, as I say, to speak with uh, John Odom, the Montpelier uh, city clerk, this morning to get a, get a sense of how things are going. We haven't been able to track down Mr. Odom yet, but uh, we are um, uh, going to be talking with uh, James Duff Lyle, the executive director 
of the American Civil Liberties Union in the uh, second half hour of the program this morning. And um, ACLU has been raising an alarm about possible uh, voter suppression and voter intimidation and this sort of thing uh, going on, not so much in Vermont here, but in other parts of the country. There's a lot of concern about uh, will people be allowed to uh, to vote uh, as freely as uh, they have in past elections. And, of course, just the logistics of this uh, situation here where it appears that we are uh, headed for record turnouts around the country. Again, I, I think it's a sign that many, many people are, are really feeling strongly about uh, about the potential for either a continuation of the current course of the country or, or the need for a change in that course. Uh, many, many folks out there are motivated to vote, uh, it seems, as never before, because uh, certainly they are uh, coming out of the woodwork. And um, we have had already records set in state after state in terms of early voting. And, of course, uh, some of that, uh, a lot of that maybe, is tied to the pandemic with people uh, taking states setting up systems for sending out ballots early and, and uh, setting up systems for collecting those ballots early, drop boxes and so on, and and uh, trying to get uh, folks to participate, perhaps not by going to the polls on Election Day, but by filling out a ballot ahead of time. That seems to be uh, quite a popular thing this year. We have uh, last last uh, number I saw was something like 93 million Americans have already voted before you let the opening bell on Election Day here. So let's uh, let's hear about the local scene a little bit. I think we do have uh, John Odom, uh, Montpelier City Clerk, on the line with us this morning. Uh, good morning, John. Thanks for joining me. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Hey, I wanted to uh, check in with you and find out, uh, are we looking like a normal Election Day so far this year, or is uh, is uh, turnout a little lower because uh, because everybody voted early and, and, and it's uh, snowing out? Well, I sure expect it to be, but we had a more typical morning rush, uh, more typical of other elections. So um, that was a little unexpected. I assume that means our evening rush will be a little slower, otherwise we're going to run out of voters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I sort of, I've sort of wondered about that because um, <clears throat> how many uh, how many registered voters are there in Montpelier? There's about uh, what is it about sixty five hundred. Okay, and and do you know how many of those have voted early in this election? Voted early about a little more than four thousand, about forty, forty one, forty two hundred. Okay, so really we we we're, we have uh, essentially, it sounds like. Uh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I say sixty five hundred? I meant fifty six hundred. Sorry. Fifty six hundred. Okay. Yeah. So we 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 actually have. Sense. Yeah, it sounds like we we have fewer than fifteen hundred outstanding ballots then, right? Yeah, yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's really something. It's, and um, and I've so I've uh, never seen anything like it. Yeah, and I, I, I it, it seems to me that that would mean, um, you know, it, I mean, it's, that those numbers sort of sound more like a municipal election and a sleepy march, uh, in terms of fifteen hundred people coming to the polls. Am I right about that, or not so yeah. much? Yeah, no, that's about right. So, so we. We are, uh, we're not going to see the, uh, the, I mean, and that was the point. Folks wanted to avoid the big lines and crowds, et cetera, on election day itself. And, uh, but, but on the other hand, you said the morning rush looked like a typical election day morning rush. Is that right? It did. And it was, um, 
it was interesting because, you know, we have such a different system going on now. This is essentially experimental for us. Um, you know, we have um, just a couple tables, but folks can check in at either table. We're sanitizing everything. All my poll workers are behind plexiglass. Um, it's very different, but it means we have had a couple lines. Um, but folks have been very patient for the most part about uh, mm-hmm. you know, understanding the situation and moving through. Lines did not get too bad, so that helps. <laughs> Easier to be patient when the line isn't too bad. But yep. yeah, it's it's been going. We've had a few challenges here, but not not related to turnout. You know, I had uh, one of my uh, voting machines conk out on me, so I had to go get the extra one. So it's been a little a little funny, hmm. but uh, you know. That's why you have extra ones. That's why you have backup. This is why we have so many volunteers, and we've had so many volunteers. It's just the whole process leading up to it, and now I've had to actually turn volunteers, folks who wanted to help away. I've had to tell them I don't have anything for them to do. Wow. So it's um, it's <laughs> really a unique election in so many ways. It's just too many yeah. to count. Hmm. And... Um... If folks have been saying that uh, that the Democrats are going to be more likely to uh, vote early, and Republicans on election day. Have you seen any signs of that so far? You know, it's really hard to say since you know, we don't have party registration, and we don't. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not looking at individuals' ballots. Um, so, you know, my gut is telling me that it's at least in Montpelier. It isn't really breaking that way. It's a lot more hmm. consistent, generally. But uh, I don't have a lot to base that on, but I'd be willing to bet that that's the case. I don't think we're having that effect so much here. And, and uh, as as you hear the general chatter around from, from folks, I, I gather you have been able to pick up uh, some conversation here and there this morning. I'm just wondering... Um, uh, what are people saying in terms of uh, waiting until election day to vote? Are they saying just didn't get around to it, or I really am suspicious, or somehow oppose mail-in voting, or I? What's the general? Is there any sense of of, of why uh, anybody would wait until today? We only had about three or four. Uh, you know, obviously, the folks who are checking folks in are going to have more of those sort of anecdotes. But from my hovering and my speaking to people, I, you know, I've had two, three, four folks who sort of, you know, made allusions about, you know, I've got to do it myself. But now, generally, this just seems to be people who prefer to come to the polls. It's just sort of part of their tradition. And that I've heard a lot. And not just today, but over the past several days. You know, I, I like to come to the polls. You know, I like the experience. I like the ritual of it, the feel of it. So that's, yep. I think, really the driver, honestly. Hmm. Um, I, I guess there is some, people do take some, uh, have some emotional attachment to that uh, that kind of civic act. And, and uh, you know, uh, there's a bit of a performance art uh, to it, maybe a little bit, to line up with polls and, <laughs> oh, they and have go to the... investment. I mean, it really runs deep with people. And, yeah. you know, people of all ages. It's really something. So a lot of folks are just determined they're going to come out. And, um, you know, I've got to, it, it's hard not to appreciate that. Um, you know, I, I feel very much the same way. I never, you know, before, before I became clerk, 
I didn't vote early, even when I worked for political campaigns, and we were all supposed to. It, was, it you know, it meant a lot to me to come out to the polls, and you know, soak that in and be be part of the whole election day experience. So, yep. I totally understand it. I completely do. It makes a lot of sense to me. Whether mm-hmm. the, you know, the the choice I would make now, that's sort of an open question. Um, but uh, but I appreciate it very much. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the questions I've had, and I haven't really uh, pursued it that hard, so I don't know what the answer is, but I'm sort of curious because for years um, I was uh, each each state uh, bureau and the Associated Press would have uh, someone assigned to sort of uh, tabulate the uh, exit poll results uh, on election day and find out, you know, was this or that candidate getting more support from this or that demographic and that sort of thing. And you could you could actually, you know, generate some really interesting election analysis from all all of that. And um it occurred to me that with so many people voting early, that might actually uh sort of make exit polling difficult or or hard not to be skewed somehow. Um and so I don't know what the uh what the exit poll folks are are doing uh, this year to try to counter the uh, this phenomenon of of so many people voting early, I haven't uh, haven't really checked in with folks to to find that out. But it, you know, I think it's a uh, it's going to be a, <clears throat> a challenging day if you're an exit poller. So, hey, oh, yeah. uh, we need to uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Vermont. Like I say here, I don't think that's you've had that kind of dichotomy that you have in other places, um, and I bet that's true in a lot of the states. I think probably when you get to the larger towns larger than us, you know, up in mm-hmm. County, you might yep. start seeing that effect more. And that could be those population centers could be where those exit polls get more skewed. But I think if there were someone out polling today here, they'd mm-hmm. get a pretty good picture. Hmm. Okay. Well, I wish them luck. <laughs> Not doing that anymore <laughs> myself, so that's okay. What are you what are you hearing? Among your uh, folks you talked to in Montpelier about sort of the big issues in the presidential race, is it the Supreme Court? Is it uh, uh, are folks liking um, President Trump's foreign policy, or do they uh, um, are they worried about some of his uh, rhetoric uh, directed toward racial minorities and and basically anybody he doesn't like? Or what do you what, what's your sense? Well, uh, you know, I'm the wrong person to ask because I shut down those conversations. I don't engage. In my position, um, if people come up and talk to me, I'm not going to affect their vote um, either by validating it or rejecting it. So the position mm-hmm. I'm in, I need to be completely neutral. I've had people yep. come in and just say something to me, generally not in favor of one candidate or another, but opposed to one candidate or another and i just sort of nod and go hmm or something and or <laughs> follow it up with if they didn't seem to get it with uh yeah i can't really talk about that <laughs> yeah so, yeah so i i couldn't tell you honestly that's those those exit pollers you're talking about you need them now yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> i um you know and uh, that is an interesting position for a town clerk it sounds a little like you know when i was working as a reporter for the ap you know we had to be quite reticent about uh expressing any opinions or whatever uh also and um so i can i can sympathize with that uh conversational awkwardness that you probably encounter sometimes 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, I was very outspoken in the political sphere before this job. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when I took it nine years ago, I knew it was time for me to shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that, that uh, is... Uh... That is, that is interesting. I, I've, I have uh, taken a little more liberty as a radio talk show host than I used to as, a, <laughs> as an AP reporter, and some people wish I would shut up. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know how hard you know. it is for me to shut up. So it took a lot of work. It was a good exercise <clears throat> yeah. in self uh, control. So, yeah, a little self discipline never hurt anybody. So that's <laughs> that, that's a good thing. Um, well, we are uh, fast approaching the, the uh, bottom of the hour break here, and I. I uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking a little bit of time with us to uh, fill us in on what you're seeing and hearing so far uh, this morning on Election Day, and I hope it all it all goes smoothly from here. Uh, Montpelier City Clerk John Odom, thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Alrighty. Hey, uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we head to uh, CBS News Minute at the bottom of the hour and a couple of words from sponsors is that uh, it appears that the regular Tuesday-Friday uh, news conference that uh, Governor Phil Scott has been sort of the main uh, person talking at them generally, certainly introducing folks and uh, and getting it all kicked off, and then he uh, leans hard on other uh, state officials. Today, I guess today's version, uh, the governor will not be there, but there will still be uh, one of the regular Tuesday-Friday COVID-19 news conferences that uh, WDEV has been faithfully carrying uh from uh from the get-go uh during this pandemic and um we're told that the uh, the governor won't be there today but uh, other uh, health commissioner mark levine and other uh, top state officials will be uh ready to answer uh, questions from the media and probably providing an initial briefing so stay tuned for that uh, just after 11 o'clock this morning meanwhile let's go to that uh, bottom of the hour break for some tbs news back in the folk back in Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Picture Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. Now back to the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. We are back, and uh, of course it's election day, and so we're talking a lot about uh, election-related stuff. Uh, the um, uh, next guest we have lined up here is uh, James Duff Lyle. He is executive director of the American Civil Liberties Union office in Montpelier. Of course, that's a national group with uh, chapters, I, I think, in every state, and uh, uh, Vermont is no exception. And we have uh, Mr. Lyle uh, with us on the phone, I do believe. Good morning, James. Thanks for joining me. Good morning, Dave. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I wanted to touch base with you because uh, I've seen a, a couple of blurbs from the ACLU over the past uh, couple weeks uh talking about um, worries about election uh, voter intimidation, uh, voter suppression, and these sorts of things. And uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, uh, sort of give us the lay of the land, you know, tell us whether there's any sense of any of that happening in Vermont and also uh, what you're following around the country on that on those fronts. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first let me just say uh, that the ACLU is 
focused on ensuring that everyone who wants to vote, who can legally cast a vote, has the opportunity to do so. Um, mm-hmm. And to overcome the barriers to voting uh, this year, it now includes uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, of course. Um, but we're, we're squarely focused on ensuring that every vote uh, is, is able to be cast and is counted. Um, and, and so far, uh, it looks like we are going to see historic turnout, um, which is really encouraging. That's, that's how democracy works, is when people's voices are, that is how people uh, make their voices heard in a democracy. It, it's through voting. Um, so to see the record uh, early voting turnout and what looks like, again, a historic um, uh, turnout across the board is really encouraging. Um, that's so that's the good news. Um, but yes, we, we are also concerned about um, the uh, widespread efforts to uh, suppress the vote and to intimidate voters. This is nothing new. Uh, this country has a long, long history of uh, voter intimidation and vote suppression. Um, and we, unfortunately, we're seeing it on, uh, you know, at least in recent years, an unprecedented scale in this election. Um, and so the ACLU and many others are working very hard to ensure that, uh, that those efforts are not successful, that we, that we oppose uh, voter suppression uh, efforts. And, you know, we've seen this already uh, in places like Pennsylvania, where there have been efforts to limit uh, the time for returning or counting ballots. We just got a decision in Texas uh, where there was a challenge uh, brought to drive-in voting. Um, where the ACLU intervened in that case, and a federal judge, I believe yesterday, rejected that attempt to toss out more than 100,000 lawfully cast votes. Um, So we have concerns about voter suppression, and we'll be following and litigating and fighting those uh, voter suppression efforts throughout this election. Um, And then we're also concerned, obviously, about voter intimidation. Um, And, you know, as to Vermont, I, I... I'm encouraged by what I've seen and heard from the Secretary of State's office, from the town clerks, uh, from the Attorney General's office. They are taking um, that issue very seriously and, you know, I think will respond appropriately if and when uh, necessary. Um, uh, But, you know, for now, I think I would just emphasize that if anybody encounters any problems or really has any questions about voting this year, and this is a year unlike any other, again, with just with the pandemic alone, um, to contact your town clerk, contact the Secretary of State's office, contact the Attorney General's office if it rises to that level. Um, there's also an election protection hotline. Um, I believe that is 1-866-R-VOTE. Um, hold on, let me make sure I have that right. Um, I have that in front of me. I want to not give. Yes, it's 866-R-VOTE is the election protection hotline. So, hmm. but again, starting with the town clerk and the secretary of state, uh, I, I think an enormous amount of work has gone into preparing for this election. I think Vermont is in really good shape, and we're obviously hoping for strong turnout and uh, clear results. Uh, you mentioned Texas, where uh, this federal judge uh, did, did uphold uh, the counting of 127,000, or roughly thereabouts, uh, ballots uh, that I think yeah. were um, basically gathered at uh, at drive-through uh, polling places. Um, and uh, and I'm wondering, you know, you have this court ruling uh, saying those ballots are to be counted and they are legitimate ballots, et cetera. 
And, uh, you know, if you favor maximizing the franchise, that sounds like a good, a good thing. But, um, Texas is, uh, said to be quite close this year. And imagine it comes down to a, uh, a margin at the end of the day of, uh, you know, 80,000, uh, votes, uh, that will determine, uh, who gets Texas's, uh, I think it's like 38, um, electoral votes. It's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the will there then be an incentive for whichever side comes up on the losing end uh, to try to um, maybe appeal that ruling and see if we can see if they can kick out uh, some of these ballots or uh, could this thing have another layer of jurisprudence surrounding it? I guess is my question. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think that that is that's been made really clear. Um, that, that there will be legal challenges, um, but you know whether whether it's in a place where it, it's close or not. I mean, the, just the, the basic principle in a democracy is that every legitimate vote should be counted. Every vote should mm-hmm. be counted. Um, and so, when you see efforts to just toss out 127,000 votes, for example, in Texas. Um, really for no valid reason other than it is a closed race there and it is a voter suppression effort and an effort to influence the outcome of the election without regard to the fact that those were lawfully cast ballots those are people's again that's how people effectuate their voice in a democracy and to to have an electoral strategy that's premised on silencing those voices and limiting or invalidating those those votes um you know for anyone who really cares about democracy uh, that should be deeply concerning, whether it's in a place where the vote is close or in an election that's close or not. Uh, it remains to be seen how close this election will be. But really, any effort to suppress lawfully cast votes um, should be viewed skeptically. And we've seen courts, uh, including in Texas yesterday, view those efforts very skeptically, as they should. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I saw another <clears throat> headline uh, out of Texas. I, I think it was just... Uh just this morning saying that most drive through voting locations are closing. They're going to be closed on Election Day uh, in uh, in a Houston area county uh, at the center of this uh, legal drama. Do you know what that's about? Are they closing um, closing drive through uh, voting locations today? I, I don't I'm not sure about the situation okay. on the ground in Texas. I mean, I, I you I'm sure that we will hear things in places like Texas, uh, so, you know, in Georgia in the last election we we heard a number of disturbing reports and are already starting to hear things. Um so, you know, again, there are going to be widespread efforts to limit the number of people who can vote and limit the number of votes, and that is unfortunately an electoral strategy, which you know, again, that's a, essentially an anti-democratic electoral strategy, um, and we're going to challenge it everywhere and every place that we can, and we're not alone. Uh, and you know, it it it, it could, uh, in certain places, fall to the courts to make those calls. Um, but again, the most important thing for today is that people get out and vote and, and do everything that they can to ensure that their voice is heard. And we're going to do everything that we can to ensure that their voices are heard. And then we'll have to see. We'll have to see how successful, um, uh, you know, the efforts to limit the vote, um, how successful Jim Crow 2.0, as it's being referred to, uh, is. But, but, you know, for now, people need to, to fight unfortunately, harder than they should have to uh, to make their voices heard. Again, here in Vermont, I, I feel 
pretty confident that uh, the town clerks across the state, the Secretary of State, Attorney General, and others have, have done a lot to prepare for this, and I think we're in good shape. The um, Here in Vermont, uh, one concern that came up around the primary was uh, quite a number of ballots that were uh, apparently uh, spoiled simply by voters not uh, following uh, some instructions that uh, some folks found to be a little bit convoluted. Uh, do, you th- do you expect that will be a phenomenon uh, this time around? And, uh, uh, and, and, and is, that a, is that a concern from the point of view of, uh, you know, sort of inadequately allowing folks to have their voices heard? I mean, I think it's an issue in every election. There's always going to be some irregularities in some numbers of ballots. Uh, and, you know, the Secretary of State, I think, can speak to this with, with great expertise. Um, you know, there, there, there are going to be some number of folks who don't follow the instructions exactly right. And, uh, I, you know, I think the goal is to effectuate the will of the voter. Um, that's not to say that it's always going to be 100 percent clear, but in the vast majority, the vast majority of votes cast, it's, it's, it is clear. And those votes need to be counted. Uh, and then in the relatively uh, few number um, where there's some question as to, you know, whether the person filled out the, the oval uh, completely or fully or if there's a hanging chat or something, um, then, uh, you know, again, I think the effort is to do what can be done to effectuate uh, the will of the voter. Um, that's it's never going to be a hundred percent perfect in any election in any year, but um, it, it's also not true that a few uh, irregularities here or there should cast doubt on um, the vast majority of, of votes that are being cast, and, and or provide any excuse or reason to invalidate large numbers of votes. As you know, again, we're seeing those efforts and expect to see more of those uh, legal challenges uh, in the days ahead. My guest is James Duff-Lyle. He's executive director of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union office in Montpelier. And uh, we uh, welcome your uh, uh, calls from listeners. If you have questions or comments you'd like Mr. Lyle to hear, uh, you are welcome to call us here. The local number in Waterbury is uh, 244-1777, and the toll-free number is one 291 or 291-TALK. And... Uh, James, I wanted to also um, ask you some about uh, voter intimidation, which is a little bit different from uh, the sort of sweeping moves to uh, try to invalidate, say, 127,000 ballots in Texas or whatever. Um, This is, uh, I guess, more, uh, I don't know, uh, up close and personal with uh, people trying to go and vote. Uh, Tell us what some of the... uh, activities or techniques uh, folks are seeing and hearing about out there and what can be done to counter them well i haven't heard any examples you know i mean the day is young but i haven't heard of any examples here in vermont mm-hmm. um, i mean over the years there are plenty of examples of uh, voter intimidation tactics um you know generally things that that um are prohibited that would be examples of intimidating um, uh, 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 behavior um, would include, um, you know, poll watchers confronting or hovering sort of directly over people, uh, disrupting voting lines, um, spreading false information about voter requirements, um, use of threatening language or physical force. Um, I mean, those are the kinds of things that 
uh, are intended to intimidate voters and are illegal um, and should absolutely be reported if they come up. So if anybody sees something, if you see something, say something. Um, and again, mm-hmm. the town clerk, the secretary of state's office are the places to go, as well as the election protection hotline, 866-R-VOTE is, is the other. Um, you know, we're hoping not to see a lot of that uh, in, in Vermont or anywhere else, um, but it, it does appear that it, there there will be uh, efforts. We, we've seen some uh, pretty appalling uh, behavior just in the last few days, um, you know, on the nation's highways, and um, even I'm hearing, you know, around the roadways of Vermont with people um, uh, driving aggressively and intimidating um, people of color as they go about their business. So there's no question that there this is um, a dangerous time and that people need to be safe and people need to take care of one another and people need to be civil. Um, and this election is going to uh, transpire and we hope that it, again, that every vote is, is uh, allowed to be uh, cast and counted and every voice heard. Um, and the you know, authorities responsible for administering the, the election are not going to have a lot of tolerance uh, or patience for illegal uh, voter intimidation tactics. One thing, you, you, you use the word hovering to describe uh, what, what uh, you know, a specific act of voter intimidation might look like, and that sounds to me like somebody's actually in the middle of filling out the ballot and has someone else uh, kind of looking over their shoulder or something. You know, I, I think in most instances when you go to vote, at least here in, Ver, in Vermont, you go up to this little booth and pull a curtain behind you, and the object of the uh, thing is to be uh, completely private. The individual is in there by him or herself. Um, yep. uh, is it even, I mean, it, so is it even allowed for someone else to, to invade this space that, that tightly? Uh, I mean, generally, no. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I think... It, it it depends where we're talking about. I, you know, it, here in Vermont, I, I'm not familiar with every single polling location, and certainly they vary a lot across the country. Um, mm-hmm. But so whether it's, you know, harassing behavior inside or outside, um, it can take a lot of different forms. But, um, you know, generally it's getting into people's faces, getting into their spaces inside or outside of polling uh, uh, areas, Um Using violent language, being violent, um, and just you know, or you know, frivolous challenges to people who are who are um, uh, showing up to vote. Those are the kinds of things that um, might rise to the level of um, un- unlawful, illegal uh, voter intimidation. And again, mm. you know, poll workers and, and clerks are, are trained to identify and respond to this. So, uh, I, you know, there's not going to be a lot of tolerance for that uh, in Vermont, and hopefully not in other places. Um, but if anybody does see anything, they should absolutely report it. James Duff Lyle, I wanted to ask you if, um, you know, I know that that your uh, organization, a- a- uh, ACLU, is uh, a na- nationwide group, and I'm wondering, are there any any th- Thoughts being given to the idea of um, trying to uh, maybe not impose laws and rules and stuff and so on about uh, 
about running elections nationwide, but to come up with sort of some best practices and maybe some federal funding to support them so that uh, it just seems like there's an awful hodgepodge out there these days of uh, how various states, uh, for instance, just on this question of when do uh, when, are, when are ballots too late to be counted? In Vermont, it's after 7 p.m. on Election Day. If you don't get your ballot in by 7 p.m. Uh, today, you are out of luck. In other states, apparently, uh, if you have the ballot postmarked by Election Day, there's some period of days after um, Election Day for the ballot still to be counted. Uh, that's That's just one weird sort of disparity that... It could mean that a voter uh, would have a different set of uh, kind of voting rights and responsibilities in one state than another. Maybe that's okay, or maybe there should be uh, more of a streamlined system. Uh, do you or the ACLU have any thoughts about that? Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. I, you know, I think this election has uh, really highlighted what a hodgepodge we have and really just how much work we have to do to shore up the fundamentals of our democracy. Um, and, you know, I think there, there are plenty of examples of that, including, you know, the wide variations from, from place to place and state to state. And, I, you know, I don't think national elections are an example of where you want to have this sort of federalist system where every state is a laboratory. Like, we, we should be um, shooting for um, consistency and, and, again, ensuring that every person's vote can be counted. And I think there are a number of ways to do that. Um, uh, but we, and that we are nowhere near that. And, and in fact, we're seeing efforts to uh, dilute uh, the vote or suppress the vote. Um, we, we saw the erosion of the Voting Rights Act as a, a major um, uh, marker in that uh, trajectory. Uh, so there's there's no question that there's a lot of work to do. I, I think regardless of the outcome of this election, it should be seen as a, a red flag, a, a warning sign that if we do not um, shore up the fundamentals of our democracy and our voting systems nationwide. Um, the, you know, we're going to have uh, uh, continued problems, and our democracy is going to suffer as a result. Um, so, you know, what, yeah, I'm 100% with you uh, on that. Uh, you know, what, what, one thought is just, uh, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, there might be a federal law saying that states are required to have X number of voting booths per per Y population. So if you have, you know, you have a census tract of 10,000 people, uh, you need to have a polling place with a certain number of booths to accommodate uh, that number of people. Because uh, as things stand now, there, is, there are individual states where, depending on which county you live in and which neighborhood and so on, uh, you can have um, much different uh, just raw physical access to the polls by virtue of a smaller number of, of voting machines or voting booths uh, uh, per population. So that's just another aspect of that that is really bizarre. <laughs> anyway, I'm... Uh, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and our, I, I, uh, I don't know whether uh, National ACLU has anything in the works on that, any kind of a campaign. Well, you know, the ACLU is nonpartisan. For 100 years, we haven't supported or opposed candidates of any party. But we do yeah. oppose policies when they threaten civil rights and civil liberties. There's no question. Oh, We've had to do a we lot are about out of time. James so Duff Lyle, thank you very much for joining me this morning. CBS News at the top of the hour. Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. 
The Pitcher Inn and Warren store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rockin' Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. News Radio, WDEV, FM, and AM. Now back to the Dave Graham Show. Thanks for staying with us uh, into our second hour on this election day, November the 3rd, 2020. And uh, Leonard Steinhorn of CBS News uh, joins us this morning. Uh, Leonard, thank you so much for doing so. And I wanted to ask you, uh, Leonard, uh, your your sense of, uh, of this election as a as a sort of a turning point in American history here. Clearly, uh, two paths diverge in the woods in a, here, don't they? To borrow a phrase from in Robert Frost. Ways, yeah, in some ways you have that. I mean, one can argue that all of these conditions that we're seeing today were the seeds were planted in the 1960s and were sort of living out in an ongoing basis that cultural divide, that fissure, that gap, that chasm, that began to develop in the 60s. I mean, look, it was Richard Nixon's candidacy in 1968 that really initiated many of the sort of uh, uh, sort of uh, cultural uh, tropes and cultural uh, approaches that Donald Trump is pushing right now. Nixon talked about the forgotten man and woman. Um, he talked about the silent majority. He talked about law and order. And it wasn't only Nixon. It was George Wallace in the mid-60s. And then Reagan picked up on some of that. And so you had two cultures emerging out of the 60s, um, one that was more sort of socially liberal, inclusive, uh, emphasis on higher education, and the other that was more sort of populist, white, working class, culturally conservative, um, and sort of increasingly angry that sort of that other side, that more liberal side, was taking over in the economy and a lot of the institutions. Um, so I think Donald Trump is an expression of what's been germinating for over 50 years. Uh, and uh, yet, here's the other side to it. Um, this next generation, uh, the younger people, the millennials and Gen Z, um, under 40s, under 30s, um, they are much more 60s than 50s. Um, they are much more of that sort of liberal mentality than that hearkening back to the old 1950s America with the sturdy white guy with his lunch pail being the sort of iconic American hero. Um, and so I do think that this may be, in fact, one of the last elections of the 1960s because this next generation is going to wield its um, electoral power in greater numbers because they will really amount to the largest cohort of voters um, in our society in the coming years. So I do think that we may be at the tail end of those sort of battles that were being fought uh, for decades from the 1960s. Uh, it just depends when this new generation begins to sort of understand that electoral power has and begins to use it and exercise it. Yeah, that's a very interesting analysis. Although, I, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing some articles indicating that uh, parts of the electorate, uh, which I think uh, Democrats and liberals uh, were hopeful would be 
uh, aligning with them in the coming uh, years and decades uh, may be uh, a little bit uh, softer in that regard than uh, than they hoped. Uh, I'm thinking here of Hispanics, for instance, who are said uh, this year to be uh, not as firmly behind, uh, say, Joe Biden as they were behind uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. What do you think is happening there? Well, again, you have to unpack that. Uh, for example, in, in Florida, you just can't throw everybody who sort of has a Spanish language heritage together. The Cubans are going to be much different from the Puerto Ricans compared to the Venezuelans, uh, compared to the uh, Mexicans who, uh, and Central Americans who, who've come into this country or their families have been living here. Um, and so, uh, again, if we just put that under one category, we, we miss something. But go look at Texas. I mean, George W. Bush had a much more open perspective on immigration, more welcoming. Um, in fact, you know, in his administration, he tried to put together a compromise on immigration, and he was pushed back by the conservative wing of his party. So, um, you know, you look, you, you drill down into the community, and there's a great deal of concern among Hispanics uh, about sort of the nativism and the xenophobia. But on the other hand, they're very family-oriented, small business communities um, that may gravitate to a Republican message that sort of sheds itself uh, of the nativism and sheds itself of some of the resentment and uh, that, that we're seeing under the uh, Trump years. So um, it may not mean that a vast majority will go to the Republicans, but even George W. Bush was able to get about 35% of the Hispanic vote when he was running in Texas. Um, and so, uh, you know, but still, if you look at any election and say that one demographic group is 60% one way and the other is 40% the other way, and that 40% is higher than what most Republicans get these days, you'll say it's an absolute landslide on behalf of the Democrats. Um, so a lot of it's a matter of perspective. But I do think that what the press is doing right now is sort of looking at where there could be soft spots that could pry away a few percentage points from Joe Biden's uh, totals that could ultimately tip particular states um, to President Trump. And I think that's sort of the foundation of some of those articles that we're reading. But I mm -hmm. think it would be a mistake for the Republicans um, not to realize in the years ahead that if they don't create a more inclusive message, um, one that is more welcoming, they're going to lose a lot of people. And it's not just Hispanics. It's going to be educated folks, uh, young people, this new generation. You, you go back to 2012 and the Republican Party autopsy after Mitt Romney lost. And lots of, you know, thought leaders in the Republican Party thought Mitt Romney was going to win that election. Um, yeah. You go back to 2012 and their autopsy and they said, we cannot survive as a party if we don't understand the demographics and figure a way out to become a bigger tent, more inclusive party. Um, they just didn't go that direction in 2016. And it seemed like that analysis was rebuked, but it was only rebuked because of the Electoral College and not necessarily um, because of the will of the people nationwide. 
uh, w- one thing that uh, that I, I think I'm also hearing is that you know traditionally in a very high turnout election that is uh, thought to favor Democrats uh, and uh, and yet there's uh, some uh, chatter going on right now that uh, that President Trump has actually uh, been able to attract some uh, sort of first time and uh, infrequent voters uh who actually may uh show up in large numbers today and uh and tilt a couple states uh is there is there anything to that to all that theorizing yes absolutely um after 2016 the republican party the trump campaign identified hundreds of thousands if not more of um non-college educated um whites in key battleground states that hadn't voted in 2016 and they mm-hmm. began to register a lot of those people. Now, it doesn't mean that they are all necessarily new voters or people who have never voted. It could be that these are people who at one point were Democrats because of family, because of union membership and all the rest that have been migrating to the Republican Party and voting Republican anyway. You saw that for years in southern states uh, after the 1960s where people still kept a D in front of them, but they voted R all the time. Um, so that could be part of it. Um, but yeah, I think that there is that sort of, there's that untapped energy on the part of the Trump base, and I think they're going to bring people out. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Democrats are really nervous about Pennsylvania, because they see that as one place where this is very possible. They're somewhat less nervous about Wisconsin and Michigan, but they also see potential for that as well, and Florida too. So, um, yeah, there are uh, a lot of Democrats nervous and a lot of Republicans who have, you know, their eyebrows raised and, you know, with the potential for, hey, this might actually surprise everyone because of some of these voters. At the same time, what could neutralize them is a higher turnout among African-Americans. And even if Trump peels away a a couple more percent of African-American men, um, if you get a large, large turnout of African Americans at 89 to 11, or 90 to 10, or 91 to 9 percent margins, that's benefit Biden and yeah. younger people. If younger people turned out, um, many of them may have voted. If their vote, if their ballots aren't um, uh, rejected um, or invalidated, um, and, and if you see a surge of these younger generations, that could make a big difference too. So again. Everyone says that turnout is the big part of this election, and that's correct. This is not a national election. It's an election in battleground states that depends on which types of voters turn out, and that's how we have to see our presidential elections these days. Sounds like it. All right. Well, uh, Leonard Steinhorn of CBS News, thanks very much for spending some time with us this morning. It's always good chatting with you. Thanks so much. Always enjoy it, and we'll touch base in a couple days when we figure out what path our country is taking, right? Sounds good. Thanks. We're going to be talking in this next little bit here with uh, Lauren Hurl. She's with the Vermont Conservation Voters. And uh, uh, Dan uh, Fingus, I believe it is. Uh, we can double-check the pronunciation with Dan in just a minute. Uh, he is with uh, Rights and Democracy. And these two groups are part of a coalition uh, calling itself uh, Protect the Results. And I think... Uh, the name probably speaks for itself, but they are interested in making sure that uh, all of the votes uh, properly ca- and legally cast are counted. They are counted accurately, and that the uh, results 
do are in fact ref- reflected in the uh, outcome of the election going on. So that's uh, that is the uh, I think that's the mission, and we'll hear more about it from our two guests. I believe uh, uh, Lauren Hurl and Dan Fingus are on the. Uh, phone with us right now and uh lauren and dan uh, thank you both for joining us this morning thanks for having me thank you uh, dan uh dan am i pronouncing your name correctly yep you're fine okay good (laughs) and uh so lauren uh, let me start with you if i could and uh talk to us a little bit about uh this effort that you folks are involved with is i gather it's a is this a, a nationwide thing involving a, a lot of uh, activist groups or or tell us about it yeah there is a a national effort really looking at how unprecedented this election is and trying to you know really set expectations and understand that unlike in previous years you know we're not you know we very well might not know who wins um, particularly the presidential race this evening and, you know, wanting to ensure that we are accurately and effectively counting every valid vote that has been cast and, you know, watching some of the rhetoric that's come out of the White House, trying to sow doubt and um, maybe fear among some voters about, um, you know, which votes should be counted and, potentially declaring victory before um, all votes are counted. We really wanted to come together and um, make clear that, you know, for Vermont, we want to do our part to say we need to take the time, count every vote, and only then should, you know, any candidate be declaring victory. And and that's what we want to stand up for. And um, of course, there is a, there is a, some speculation, and it's and it's actually based on some things the president has said that if if the uh, outcome is not uh, to, in his favor, um, he may he, he he basically will not accept it. Um, and does that what kind of a tone does that set up for an election going in? Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the concerns is that. <clears throat> could discourage people from voting. You know, we, of course, want absolutely everyone to vote uh, who is 18 or over, you know, make your voice heard for whoever you want to win. And, you know, if people feel like the, the results don't matter or there's, you know, a predetermined outcome that's really discouraging. And, you know, fortunately, the president can't unilaterally do that. And so, um, you know, we want to just make sure that all of our election officials and that voters know that their votes will count and that millions of Americans are going to be standing with them to make sure that that's the case. And, uh, Dan, uh, I'm curious about rights and democracy. I know that your group is uh, present not just in Vermont but in New Hampshire as well, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, most people expect that Vermont is uh, quite uh, firmly uh, in the Biden column. Uh, Certainly it's... uh, its polling has shown uh, very low approval for uh, President Trump uh, compared to other states and so on. New Hampshire is a closer call, so I'm wondering if a lot of the folks uh, with uh, rights and democracy who are from Vermont, are they crossing the river to try to help get out the vote efforts over there and so on? Um, we've definitely done, um, you know, our Vermont members have definitely done some work in New Hampshire. We've been part of a national deep canvassing uh, campaign that started on doors uh, last January and, and turned to phones when, when COVID hit. So we've definitely had some of our members doing that, but we've also had a lot of members 
really engaged in uh, elections up and down the ballot here in Vermont and excited to help uh, make sure that that today goes successfully in both states. How many how many members uh, how many uh, members does Rights and Democracy have in, in Vermont, and how many uh, folks have been participating in these election efforts? So, we, I mean, we have supporter lists that, that go into about uh, 10,000 in Vermont, um, and then we've probably had, um, throughout all these different efforts and text banking and different votes, we've definitely had uh, close to 100 folks engaged in Vermont, and actually more than that in, in New Hampshire, with it being a, a swing state and, and a lot more uh, contested. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, is, what is your uh, general sense about New Hampshire? Are you hopeful that, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I haven't asked, but I'm, guess, I'm gathering that uh, Rights of Democracy is uh, backing uh, Joe Biden. Is that correct? Uh, we have not endorsed in the race. Um, we, we endorsed Bernie in the primary and, and haven't endorsed in the general. Um, we've done a lot of work um, really about local elections, about trying to win the governorship in New Hampshire and in Vermont. And um, and obviously we're also doing some work to make sure that Trump doesn't win because Trump's brand of politics is really bad for our members and for working people in both states. So it sounds like from everything I've gathered that we're having really positive conversations on the phone and at events, and it feels really good that uh, it seems like Trump's not gonna gonna win New Hampshire this year. Hmm. Um, and and uh, uh, your uh, thoughts about uh, nationwide? Are you hopeful uh, that Biden will pull it out? Uh, the uh, overall victory here. I mean, I definitely, I'm definitely hopeful. I think you know uh, the four years of Trump have shown what a, a terrible leader he is, and so I'm really hopeful that's going to happen. I do think, like Lawrence said, it's going to take us a few days, if not weeks, to find out for sure. Um, I think that you know th- different states have done things to hamstring the process. I mean, there's going to be no mail-in ballot counting for Pennsylvania until after polls close or maybe during the day today. So it's going to take them days at least to count all their absentee ballots, their mail-in ballots. Um, even states like Michigan, which have a one-day prep, they, they were able to prep yesterday but are still ca- just starting to count today. It could take, you know, into tomorrow or later in the week for us to know for sure what's going on there. So we're hopeful, but we know that it's going to be a, a take a while for us to know for sure. Lauren, historically, uh, people have pointed at past elections and what has occurred and, and have said that uh, higher turnouts are generally good news for uh, Democrats. Uh, this time we uh, we are looking to be, have record turnouts in a lot of states, and the, certainly the early voting has, has pointed in that direction, and it looks like Election Day is going to be very strong as well. Um, but there's a fair amount of uh, theorizing anyway going on out there. Some maybe maybe some shoe leather reporting in this even in this age of COVID to indicate that uh, some of the folks who are turning out uh, this time and who perhaps haven't in past elections is, uh, very often anyway um, are uh, are going to be voting for Trump. That uh, that some of what's out there is actually uh, you know more more conservative and so on and so forth. Do you have any sense of uh, of whether high turnout is a real boon to de- Democrats or whether it could cut either way? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think this is definitely an election where, you know, passions are high on, for both candidates on, on both sides. So I think turnout will be high across the board. Um, I do think that, you know, overall high turnout, just looking at, demographic and voter data, um, at, you know, is trending towards 
more Democratic uh, advantage for that. But I think, you know, really it comes down to which voters turn out and who's mobilized and who's activated. And I, I do think that there's, you know, really high engagement of people across the political spectrum. So, you know, and I think in Vermont, it'll be really interesting with the first time that we've done um, universal mail-in balloting. I think there'll be a lot of first-time voters and seeing how that turns out, you know, for our our national, but also our, our local and, and statewide uh, races, if there's any interesting results that come up tonight um, due to a lot of first-time voters. Lauren, there was a, there were a lot of ballots in the uh, August primary in Vermont, which were ended up being rejected because voters filled them out wrong. Now this time around, I guess the ballot the ballot themselves are simpler because you don't have different ballots for different parties and all of that. But uh, uh, are you concerned that some people might lose the franchise just through human error? Yeah, I mean, I think there will will certainly be some. The early reports so far have been really promising that between the education um, that I know a whole host of organizations um, across the state have been doing about how to successfully fill out your ballot um, and some good tips from the Secretary of State, including included right with the ballot. It looks like the, the rates of ballots being rejected are low. You know, we don't have some of the concerns that we might see in other states, you know, over the coming weeks of, you know, signature matching and some things that can be really, you know, I think brought in some other states that might be challenged by certain political parties or so on. So I think we're in a good position here to have as many ballots um, as possible count. And um, Dan, I would, uh, I'm, I'm uh, Fingas of the uh, of Rights and Democracy. What do, What is your biggest uh, fear about this election? Uh, you know, uh, maybe it would be that your uh, favorite candidate will lose and you're a Less favorite candidate will win, but aside from that, in terms of the conduct of the vote and the in the way uh, and, and and any other problems of voter suppression or voter intimidation, uh, counting, etc. Uh, what do you what do you, what keeps you up at night? I mean, I think definitely the issue of making sure every vote is counted is, is the thing that I'm, I'm most worried about. And really, um, we we live in a, a time when people want instant answers. And, and want, you know, they want to know tonight who's going to win the election, who won the election, and that's not going to happen. And so there's going to be a void left there for, for rumors and also for, you know, potentially uh, one of the presidential candidates to um, to say that they won when they didn't. I mean, the, the president has said multiple times that, you know, if, if the election's fair, he wins. And he's also been unwilling to say uh, that he, he would give up power if he lost. Um, and so that kind of break with reality is really troubling and and that's my biggest fear is that even if things are going in a direction towards Biden, that Trump talks himself into that he's the winner and, and that can cause a real problem, a constitutional crisis, but also just like real fear and anxiety within the country and, and potential for um, the first non-peaceful democratic transfer of power during a presidential election, which, which is scary. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's let's hope it goes more smoothly than some people are speculating. Hey, uh, uh, Dan Fingus and Lauren Hurl, my two guests, uh, talking about the uh, this effort to make sure all votes are counted accurately and so on. We're going to continue our conversation after a brief bottom of the hour break for a CBS News Minute and a couple words from our sponsors. Uh, stay with us, folks. We'll be back very shortly. 
Exciting things are happening in Warren Village. The Pitcher Inn and Warren Store are under new management. Upgrades and improvements are in the works, maintaining the ambiance and character while breathing new energy and resources into these iconic properties. We are open while practicing all CDC protocols. Come for lunch at our Rock and Deli and see for yourself what the buzz is all about. Both businesses are hiring, especially seeking fine dining room staff and sales associates for our boutique. Still fun, funky, and friendly, but better than ever. Open daily on Main Street, Warren Village. Now back to the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. Thanks for staying with us, folks. We are uh, talking with uh, Lauren Hurl of uh, Vermont Conservation Voters and with uh, Dan Fingus of Rights and Democracy. They are those two groups are part of a larger umbrella organization these days uh, called. Uh, Let's see, it's Protect the, uh, <laughs> refresh me here, Lauren, I'm sorry. Uh, protect the results. <laughs> protect the results, yeah. And, and the idea, of course, is the, um, uh, making sure that, that all the votes are counted, that everyone who is legitimately entitled to vote it gets to do so and that, uh, and that their votes are counted. Um, what are you, um, Lauren, what what are you worried about in terms of the uh, in terms of the actual counting? Do you, I mean, is the big is the big fear that uh, that uh, one of the campaigns might say seek a court ruling saying that okay, as of uh, you know, you pick a time, uh, midnight tonight or noon tomorrow or whatever, we stop counting? Is that the uh, is that one of the big fears? Yeah, I think I think there's uh, concern about. You know, making sure that, that the time is taken to count the votes and that, that there isn't court interference with the ability to do that, knowing that there have been, you know, quite a few lawsuits, dozens. I saw one article saying um, hundreds, although I don't know what all those were, uh, were for, but that have been challenging, you know, different aspects of voting. You know, we saw one in Vermont even challenging our um, mail-in voting program. So knowing that this kind of effort is going on that's really universally trying to make it harder for people's votes to count, you know, that's why we want to really focus on let's make sure that every eligible vote is counted, that we give the time. You know, we know with coronavirus, the, the processes and everything that we need to do to count the votes even can take longer. You know, and, of course, there's unprecedented mail-in uh, voting this year. So it's it's really unusual, and we need to give it time and make it work, and not let um, you know court ruling undermine some of those valid ballots um, from being counted, or people declaring that they've won before every vote is counted. I think those are the two two areas people are watching really closely for having to play out in the coming couple of days. Well, let, let's take each one in, in turn, and I'll start with the uh, the idea that you know it's eleven o'clock tonight, and. Uh, uh, you know, indications are that if everything froze in place right now, uh, Donald Trump might uh, pull it out and win the election. Um, <clears throat> and uh, and he starts and you know he goes on Fox News and says, "I I want the I want it to stop right now, and I'm going to court to file a motion to uh, um, ask that it be stopped right as of now." Um, and uh, so, what does your organization do? So, I mean, fortunately, there's not a there's not a really easy way for for one person, even someone with the pretty uh, amazing powers that the presidency has, to to stop you know stop elections. They're run by by states, um, 
they can try to go to court, like we're already seeing in the state, to challenge certain types of votes. Um, and so that's what we're going to be watching closely. You know, I think, you know, as long as Americans continue to, to stand up and demand that every vote is counted and that we're taking the time to do it right, I think, you know, we, we really, you know, hopefully we'll see this all play out in a good way. Um, I think it's just really, you know, it's unusual for people to, to not be seeing those results tonight and to know that, you know, there could be dramatic shifts in the outcome. So just because something's looking a certain way at 11 p.m. or midnight tonight, um, that given how many ballots have been cast through the mail and that, um, that we really might see, see big shifts in, in what the final vote counts are state by state. Uh, so that's, you know, that's how I'm thinking about it. When when uh, when you look into the future and you sort of try to figure out you know how will all this work in 2024 or 2028, um, do you think that that we'll be relying on mail-in ballots to uh, maybe not to the to the extent we are during this COVID crisis, but maybe uh, to a much greater extent than we did in 2016 and 2012? Um, <clears throat> do you? Do you, do you, first off, let, let me just ask, do you think that's likely? I, I think there could be a movement in that direction. Uh, I know that, you know, starting the conversation here for Vermonters, I mean, the ability to get your ballot, to take the time to do the research and look, you know, there's, there's good evidence from the states that have been doing universal mail-in voting, um, states like Oregon and Colorado and Utah. Um, that you have higher voter turnout overall, that people tend to vote, you know, up and down their entire ballot because they can, you know, in the comfort of their home, do the research. Um, so I think that there will be a move towards trying to implement universal mail-in voting in more states is something I would support for, for Vermont. Um, you know, but I think, I think some of it could depend on how, how the next week or two roll out and, you know, how, how people feel about you know, an election done uh, more through the mail than it's ever done before. And I've asked this question of, of other guests, I'll, and I'll put it here to uh, to Dan. Dan, do you think that there are there are are, are some best practices that ought to be uh, put in place uh, in all fifty states to generate a little more consistency? Uh, and maybe the federal government should be uh, you know passing them into law and or. Uh, urging states to uh, adopt certain practices and then uh, backing up that urging with uh, maybe some grant money and that kind of thing? Absolutely. I think the national leadership on um, both the way we vote and so it's standardized so that it's easier for everyone to understand and it's not be so state-specific. I think also some more national rules on who's allowed to vote when it comes to, to, to former felons voting and to making sure that everyone has access to the ballot. I think that would be really great, really important things that, that need to happen because I think it's just too confusing. And every everything that's confusing or that's, that's at all, like, uh, shrouded in a little bit of mystery just makes it a little bit harder for someone to vote. And every single uh, eligible voter should be voting. I think we're a better country when everyone has a say. Um, and I'll even add, like, with, with I think some national move around mail-in balloting might be great. I heard from candidate after candidate during the primary and general that, They've gotten more emails from potential constituents than, than ever before because people have their ballot in their home. They're able to go look the person up and then even email, ask questions. 
and a more uh, educated electorate on, on the candidates and the issues, I think the better off we are. Uh, interesting. Uh, and, and, and so I gather that individuals might feel a little less rushed. I mean, I think there is a sense of when you get into that voting booth and you've been standing in line and you know other people standing in line behind you, you may be feeling like, I better hurry up and get this done. And you get down to, uh, you know, the uh, list of um, who's running for high bailiff or something, and you've, you're like, I don't know if I've ever heard of some of these people. Uh, <clears throat> that, that of course, uh, if you're home uh, sitting at your kitchen table, you can start Googling around and find out about what these folks are standing for and so on. What, and uh, so that is uh, maybe an, an advantage there. Uh, one of the issues with, uh, with the mail-in ballots, of course, has been that uh, in a lot of states, uh, the ballots are not allowed to be opened until uh, polls close uh, at the end of Election Day. In Vermont's case, of course, 7, 7 p.m. Um, and uh, now here in Vermont, I guess there is a procedure where some of the uh, some of the sort of physical processing has been able to occur ahead of time. And so I think clerks have gotten themselves in a position where they can take these ballots and feed them into the machines starting at 7 p.m. Um, <clears throat> but would it be uh, better to have uh, states adopt a practice where they can begin actual counting of uh, early ballots, say, a week before the election or something like that? Uh, I'll put that question to you, Lauren. Yeah, I mean, this is a, another great example where if there was more federal leadership and clarity, it would, you know, it could be helpful because every state's doing it a little bit differently, it seems. Um you know, I, I think just more time to be able to process ballots and make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, we just want to make sure that it is a an accurate count, that everybody who should have been able to vote was able to and that their vote was counted. And so if doing that ahead of time gives you the ability to make sure that you can, you know, verify, double check, triple check uh, your vote count and make sure that they are good to go. I think that's a good thing. I mean, the other way you could think about it is resetting expectations around election night being when we learn about results. You know, if it takes extra time to count them, you know, the situation we're in this year, then, you know, there's there's nothing that says we need to find out on, on election day what the results are. So, you know, one way or another, we just have to make sure that we're, we're giving people the time to to count the, count the ballots and do that right. Yeah, yeah, I uh, and I and I certainly get that for this year. I must say, if I have a bias here, it would be toward getting the ballots counted early to the extent that's possible and getting the results out on election night. In fact, if you can count all of the, I mean, I was talking earlier with uh, Montpelier City Clerk uh, John Odom, and he was saying that uh, the majority of ballots uh, that are are being cast in the city already have been cast early. And so uh, imagine a system in which, uh, you know, Mr. Odom's office had been able to to actually uh, process the ballots fully. In other words, put them in the machines and get them tallied up. Uh, might even be able to report early results, you know, on Election Day morning or something. Here are, here are the totals and what it's looking like from the, uh, from the early ballots. Um, and then you add in, of course, the ballots cast on Election Day, those can be tallied up after 7 p.m., but uh, might even be a quicker result because you'd have, uh, you know, that 
large number of ballots already counted and in the you know sort of in the books as of uh, as of the start of the day i don't know i mean it just it just sort of seems like you could have a system set up that that election night reporting could end up being easier instead of uh, instead of everybody now saying oh got to got to be patient you know do not open do not open before christmas or whatever <laughs> it's not quite that bad but you get the idea um what do you uh, what do you think dan i mean do you think that the uh, do you think there ought to be uh, a push here toward earlier counting of the earlier ballots? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there are states that do that. I know Florida's been counting. Florida's not exactly known for their progressive uh, voter laws, but they've been counting for a couple of weeks. They're going to have quick results on election day, unlike a lot of other states. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, we, we should be doing everything we can to make the, the voting process easy for the clerks, but also easy for voters. We should have you know, multiple days of voting available. Some states do early voting periods. I know there's been lines in New York State and other places uh, for the last six days or so. Um, we should be making voting as easy as possible. And and the fact that we still have a one-day kind of election day mentality um, that was based on a system that was for, you know, only, only land-owning white men um, to be able to vote initially, like, we should definitely be changing the system to open up as, as much as possible. And that includes voting early, or excuse me, counting the votes early. Two four four one seven 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 is the local number in Waterbury. One eight seven seven two nine one eight two five five or two nine one talk if you'd like to join the conversation here on the Dave Graham Show on WDEV FM and AM. And I do believe we have a listener checking in with us. Uh, Don's calling from Elmore. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Dave. What are you going to do to protect the integrity of the ballots that are counted early? That is a major concern of mine. And if you remember years ago, we had winners announced in some of the eastern states before the polls had closed in the western states. And there was always a concern about how much, how much that was swaying the final outcome. Good. Two, uh, two good questions. Um, Lauren, what do you think? Do you think that there is an issue here with the integrity of the of the ballots cast early? I mean, I, I think there absolutely would need to be practices, and I know you know the clerks already have you know under under lock and key. Um, I'm on city council in Montpelier, and uh, our city clerk John Odom, who it sounds like was talking to you earlier, Dave, um, you know, was describing in great detail the security protocols they have in place. Um, so you know, I think. Particularly, if you're going to move towards early counting of votes, I think that's a that's a great point that needs to be, you know, absolutely a, a part of it is making sure that that is safe and secure. I would and, not want to see any early counting allowed unless it was made a major federal offense for anyone who was involved with that counting to speak with anybody uh, and violate the confidentiality of the numbers. I'm very concerned about that. So, uh, um, Don, your your main is that your main concern, or are you do you have other worries about uh, somehow people who have you know somebody has a ballot on a, on their kitchen table that is a different uh, physical environment certainly than in a voting booth? Uh, do you think that that opens up any avenues for uh, you know nefarious doings? No, I'm I'm not really going to fuss about the mail-in ballots and things like that, Dave. I uh, I've looked at that both ways, and, and especially during this pandemic, I think we've done a decent job in the way it's handled. But mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, people being people, uh, unfortunately, people sometimes just like to gossip about things they shouldn't be talking about. And yeah. I'm really worried about you get a board of civil authority or other people together to count ballots ahead of time. And, oh, gee, all of a sudden they realize that so-and-so's winning and they didn't expect them to win at all. And they start talking about that with people. You destroy the whole value of the election. Yeah, you know, actually, Don, you may. If you if you need a you need a real strict federal law with some serious fines for anybody who's involved in counting the ballots ahead of time to make sure that they keep those numbers to themselves. Uh, w- one last thought on this, Don, which is that I think, uh, and maybe Lauren knows because you sound like you're pretty familiar with the city's Montpelier's voting procedures, but I, I think in the case of Montpelier, um, they can set up the machines, you know, the, the, the actual machine that where you slide the ballot into it and it kind of grabs it and pulls it in, counts it, and so on. You can set those not to report until sometime on Election Day. Um, so that uh, with a machine, Dave, and I have no problem with that. But what do you do yeah. about it? Where you don't have machines and it's paper ballots? And yeah, it's in a, in a town like Elmore, for instance. Yeah, exactly. well, Donna, is, I, you, you, I mean, you, I, I think you have a legitimate uh, concern and question there, and maybe if there were a package of uh, of uh, legislation uh, trying to streamline and and standardize voting. Among the various states, maybe it would have to include a provision about the confidentiality of the ballot count, uh, you know, certainly uh, up until, say, poll close on Election Day or something like that. So, yeah, all right. Maybe uh, th- not until the polls close in the last state to close them, too. Yep, I get you. Um, okay. Hey, Don, I got to get, but I appreciate the call. Um, I wanted to get uh, just some concluding remarks here from our guests, uh, Dan Fingus of Rights and Democracy, Lauren Hurl of Vermont Conservation Voters. And, um, Lauren, I'm wondering your thoughts on, on the overall effort here. Uh, do you think that, uh, that efforts of group, groups like yours, uh, will, uh, be able to guarantee a, uh, an election that goes reasonably smoothly here. Yeah, I mean, it's been exciting to see nationally. I mean, the coalition that uh, that Dan and I are part of is it's bipartisan, tripartisan. This is just across the board, um, you know, a ton of organizations and national security experts and all kinds of folks who are really working to protect the integrity of the election. So I'm really hopeful that um, you know, so many people are paying attention and really just focused on making sure that we are, you know, doing the election well and right, even in the time of COVID, and, and making sure that people's votes are counted. So I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. But we'll, we'll keep in touch in the coming days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You do that, and Dan. Um used to be that there would be election monitors going out from various uh, United States-based groups and so on uh, to other countries around the world and looking at, into their election practices and making sure they were on the up-and-up and so on. Um, and now I'm reading about some uh, international groups which are kind of keeping an eye on the United States. How does that feel? I mean, it feels terrible. I mean, it feels terrible that it's needed. It's, it's great that there's outside scrutiny. Um, on the election process, I think, you know, um, as they say, some might make the best disinfectant. I think it's important for us to have an open and transparent system. But the fact that it's needed is, is really disappointing. I think the fact that there are people, 
within and without a government that that really want to limit the number of people that are voting, that want to, um, you know, really still try to have a, a, a stranglehold on who gets to vote. It, it, it's disappointing, and it, and, it, and it means that we have a less free and fair country. All right. Well, I'm afraid we're going to have to about leave it there because we are about out of time. Uh, Dan uh, Fingus and uh, Lauren Hurl, uh, thank you very much for joining me this morning. A fascinating conversation, and uh, do stay in touch. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Remember to vote, everyone. That's about it for today's edition of the Dave Graham Show. We'll talk to you all tomorrow morning. Have a good afternoon, everybody. If you haven't voted yet, today is the day. Have a good one, folks.